At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Kevin Collins. Kevin is the founder and CEO of Vancouver-based Charlie AI, a leading intelligent content services platform provider that's driving the transformation of human decision-making. Its products help businesses accelerate growth, reduce costs, and streamline operations while enabling their employees to focus on higher value activities that have real and recognizable impacts on the business. Kevin has more than 30 years of experience and extensive knowledge in artificial intelligence and machine learning, both as an entrepreneur and a corporate executive. At Charlie AI, he oversees a team of expert scientists that are pushing the boundaries of innovation in the AI-driven intelligent content management space. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Uh, it's great to be on the show. I'm looking forward to the, the conversation today. Absolutely. I can't imagine a timelier conversation <laughs> than this one. Before we get into AI threat or menace, um, what do you think is the top piece of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from today's conversation? Uh, I think just even given the intensity of the market today, the, the biggest advice that I can give them is just having that determination to push through the tough parts and learn how to pivot. You have to understand how to pivot the business, especially as an entrepreneur, and you're navigating this space today. Right. Now, how do you define a pivot? Is a pivot just, uh, oh, let's add this thing over here, or is it, uh-oh, let's make a total left turn? Entirely. <laughs> That's a really good question. It, it can be a combination uh, of things, and I, I've had to do pivots in the past many times, and it's typically – a correction on the course. Uh, a lot of companies, and especially in the startup, the entrepreneur side, you have to learn your product market fit. And a lot of times that needs adjustments. And those adjustments could be a pivot into a particular market. Uh, it could be a change in your go-to-market strategy. You have to recognize when it's time to pivot and to make sure that you're driving towards success. And that can be hard for entrepreneurs. 
And it could be a fundamental shift in the business. As you say, it could be the, oh, oh, I definitely have to pivot and move into uh, this new space that's opened up. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I'm just curious. So have you had to pivot with with Charlie? Yes, we did. Uh, And I've had to pivot in the the past as well with uh, Bits2 Systems. So with Charlie, our go-to-market strategy was very much targeting business professionals, more similar to B2C, but not a B2C. We weren't ever going with consumers. That go-to-market strategy wasn't working well for us. And we realized we had a fantastic opportunity on the enterprise side with B2B, and we had to shift our whole thinking and go-to-market strategy over to B2B play. And we did that about two years ago. And it was a very fundamental shift in the company and our strategy for going to the market. Kevin, before we get into AI and Charlie, let's take a look at your journey through the tech space. What's your experience been like over the years in big companies and small? Uh, It's been fascinating. I've got to say I love the tech space. I've always loved it. I got into it uh, even in high school. And I've been doing this for well over 30 years now, as you pointed out, uh, I've gone from understanding the transformation from mini computers and mainframes over to the PC computing. I've seen the transition there. I've seen the heavy adoption of computers, the mobile phone industry. I spent a lot of time in networking and cellular and spent a lot of time in the security and the crypto space. Saw all of the transitions and I've loved every single element of it. Uh, The change over to the cloud computing was very fundamental. Uh, I can see that shift even today, and that started, you know, quite a few decades ago. And that shift has been exciting. Uh, Even as we're moving into the world of AI today, it's continued to be innovation. And that's what I love about the tech space. It's what I love about startups and being an entrepreneur. It's the level of innovation uh, across the board. Right. And tell us, you mentioned BitStew, which was uh, your your previous startup. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that was all about. BitStew was a very interesting uh, company that was playing in the industrial Internet of Things. We all talked about everything being connected, all of these devices and machines. In the industrial world, it was very much about connecting all of the industrial machines to the cloud in order to analyze their sensor data that was coming through. Bits2 was really about wrangling all of that data coming from all these devices, getting it into the cloud, making sense of it. And we applied a lot of AI then to make sense of the industrial data, the sensor data uh, that was coming off of big machines. We even did a lot of work with the electrical industry. We did a lot of work with the airline aircraft industry as well. Whatever happened to the industrial internet of things? Did that happen and now it's invisible or did things not go its way? Uh, no, it, it went uh, quite well and it's still thriving today. A lot of companies are still being very successful in that. I've stepped away, obviously, and moved into Charlie, but still maintain a lot of contacts with uh, folks that I've worked with in the past. And it's just not top of mind anymore. It's really become mainstream, so you don't hear about it in the news, but there's a lot of connectivity happening. What's top of mind you'll see today is the 5G networks, and that's having more of an impact on what this industrial Internet of Things will be. And it's just shifted the the focus, 
but it's still thriving quite well. Bitstu, you had an exit? We did. Uh, we loved the exit back in 2016. It was a great exit for everybody, all the stakeholders, the investors. Uh, we got acquired by GE back in 2016, and it was a great opportunity to become part of their fabric and their team. Um, everybody quickly forgot about the 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears leading <laughs> up to the exit. Uh, everyone got enamored with the exit, but it is a lot of work to build up to that. Right, right. And so what brought you into the AI space? The, I've always been fascinated by AI. I, I was fascinated when I was in college, when I first learned about expert systems, very simple and rudimentary back then compared to what is available today. But that always stuck with me when we went into Bitstu, AI became a big part of our theme to wrangle all of the data that was coming from all of the sensors on the industrial side. We applied a heavy weight of AI there, and that was the technology that GE acquired back in 2016. As we came out of GE and I looked at the world of business and finance in general, I knew a lot of AI could be applied. And that continued the innovation because the AI has been evolving dramatically uh, just over the last uh, few years, never mind the last few months. And that's kept the innovation up and the capability and the power of AI. So tell us about what Charlie does and, and who Charlie is. Charlie is that automated analyst. That's what our financial customers have coined that term for us. We love it. And it really is in the world of financial services, which is our target market. It's about automating the heavy due diligence research and analyst work that has to be done. If we look at some of our customers today, they spend an enormous amount of time preparing for tax filings for corporations or doing audits and due diligence. It's a lot of evidence gathering. They have to go through 30, 100,000 pages of documents and content, and it's tedious and it's laborious and costly. So our customers have applied, uh, applied the AI technology that we have to automate that due diligence effort and surface the insights that they're looking for quickly. We'll do in five minutes what would take a team of analysts to do in 90 days. The, the benefit of the AI is taking that amount of time down from the 90 days down to five minutes. It's a dramatic impact. Right. And so... Is, is this something that they need from you every day or is this only when like a big deal comes in where they have to read a billion documents? Uh, this is something that the customers that we're working with, that includes banks, that includes financial accounting companies, they use this every single day. They have to do an enormous amount of market research every day. If they're seeing companies doing earning reports, they have to kick off some research and due diligence on those companies. That happens on a daily basis. Uh, we have one customer that processes 20,000 to 30,000 contracts every year. They're roughly getting about 100 to 200 every single day. And that is a massive amount of work that they have to continually repeat every single day. Wow. And what's your secret sauce? Do you have 
algorithms or capabilities that no one else has figured out yet? Uh, yes, uh, that is part of that secret sauce. There's a number of things that we've figured out based on our experience of being an AI. You have to understand we're coming at this from the industrial business enterprise side. We know the difficulty in some of this AI when it relates to getting facts and figures out in the world of financial services. We have a lot of intellectual property built around that compliance and that risk market to extract fact-based information and do that heavyweight due diligence using AI. And that is definitely our intellectual property and our secret sauce behind what we're doing, including the ability to automate an end-to-end -end process using the AI. It's not a set of scripts or coding. It really is the intelligence of our system to identify the next step in the process and how to complete a workflow for a company. I think you said that your customers call your product an automated analyst. I love that you know, you're listening to your customers and because they know what they need better than, than we do, right? And, uh, and, and so it's great that they've sort of defined the product for you. Uh, and it's great that you're listening so you know that they've done that. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very cool. What can you tell us about Charlie as, a, as an organization? How many people do you have? What's sort of the growth rate? Can you tell us anything about number of customers or amount of annual revenue, uh, whatever you care to disclose. We are today about 35 uh, people, predominantly based in Canada, but we do have some folks in the U.S. We have someone in New Zealand uh, that we're working with. Our customers are also predominantly in North America and in uh, Europe uh, with the U.K., and uh, some other regions that we're currently talking to about expanding into Western Europe. The cool. team size is, again, about 35 people, uh, mostly made up of engineers and scientists that are building out the tech, but we're now getting into the commercial side of the business. So that includes ramping up on our sales and marketing effort. Cool. So you're still in growth phase. We are. And uh, I'm knocking on wood, but... Uh, want that you know hockey stick growth curve is what we're looking for, right? So it obviously the global financial services is one of the biggest industries in the world. Um, do you, so the addressable market is pretty huge for you. It is. Uh, it, it is very big, and that that was part of because I mentioned the pivot before, and we have to understand where the market dynamics are. And we know that the financial services industry has a real pain point that they want to address. And this is the ability to keep up with demand on their side. And they can't find enough people to keep up with the paperwork that they have to process. So that meant automation was top of mind. And that meant we could go into the market. And that's part of the reason that we did end up focusing on financial services and also being very comfortable with the regulatory and the compliance and the risk sides of that market. Are there adjacent markets that you can, you know, do a little uh, tweaking of the algorithms and, and address other markets? There is. And this is where we're seriously considering adjacent product offerings for these other markets. We're getting a significant amount of interest coming from government agencies 
that have a very similar issue of dealing with the paperwork, mm-hmm. uh, the due diligence and the research that they have to conduct on a daily basis. I actually thought about that while you were talking. Governments, yes. <laughs> it, it is. Uh, they are looking for efficiency gains. Uh, we talked to a U.S. government agency, and they really are concerned about burnout with their people and making sure that they offer a better quality of life. Because if we think about the day-to-day, we're spending enormous amount of time just doing with paperwork over and over again. And getting that burden alleviated helps improve the quality of life for people that want to spend more time on value add, not just the drudgery of day-to-day. Yeah, fabulous. Um, What's the competition like in your market? I I bet it's pretty tight, pretty tough. It's... The interesting thing, if you look at the AI market in general, it looks like there's a lot of competition and it's intense. Uh, AI in this market is coffee table chatter, uh, no matter who you're spending time with, family, friends, colleagues, uh, AI is everywhere. So you're always hearing about different companies and different potential competitors. But the AI space is so broad and we're very focused on financial services, compliance and risk. So our market competitors, there are a few, we know who they are, and it's keeping us focused on our value add by not looking too broad or trying to compete compete in the uh, the broader space or that consumer space. Right. And I think where I've tended to hear the most about products like Charlie is in the legal profession where, man, those poor <laughs> junior lawyers <laughs> have to sit and have to sit in front of these documents all weekend long to try and figure out what what hidden minds there are there. So I guess that's a different industry and you don't need them and nor are the companies that serve that industry, nor are they competing with you? Well, they, they are. It, it is one of those adjacent markets. Uh, we have government on one side and then we have the legal industry on the, the other. Uh, and there are a lot of potential competitors in the legal industry. Uh, they're coming at it with what we refer to as machine learning uh, capability because they've been doing that for quite some time. We really come at it with what we refer to as true AI and the ability to automate at scale what the legal industry is doing. It's the same problem of having to sift through legal ease over and over and over again. And it's typically done with uh, junior lawyers, uh, counsel, uh, or legal assistants that are highly trained and qualified but they're spending a lot of this high value time just sifting through the same contracts over and over again. Uh, and we are looking to automate that drudgery away from those people as well. I'm sure <laughs> everyone's betting on you. <laughs> All those people have to do that. Um, now it's probably a good time to, to just ask you like a dumb question, like how do you define AI? Like you mentioned machine learning versus AI. And if I had to, describe the difference. I don't think I could. So maybe you could help us out and just define a couple of those terms. Yeah, there's, I've got a a bit of a a biased view given how much we deal with it on a day-to-day basis. You get get your biased view, (laughs) unchallenged. Yes. (laughs) The the machine learning algorithms have been there 
before. And I, I view them, for the most part, I view a lot of these as algorithms that are programmed to perform a certain way and to predict. If we're looking at what a lot of the hype is right now around large language models and GPT, these are neural networks, they're, they're deep learning, um, it's a combination of things that have to happen, but they're really trained to perform an output based on an input. Uh, and it's not the Hollywood version of AI, as everyone might be perceiving it to be. It's not the cognitive thinking or the reasoning elements or the critical thinking in there. It's really just programmed to understand patterns and to predict a particular output. With things like ChatGPT, they're really good at predicting words that have to be put together to form sentences and summaries. And they're brilliant at it and really good at it. But when it comes to what we refer to as true AI or real AI, we want the system to be continuously learning and updating itself and responding to new inputs. And this is why we have focused on a feedback loop where our automated analysts works with our customers' workforce, gets their feedback, learns from that, updates itself, and continue to improve itself. So that continuous learning is fundamental to what I would believe would be a real AI system. But it's also involving what we believe is necessary is a combination of multiple AI models, if you will. Machine learning is one of them. Uh, deep learning would be another. But we believe that these models have to be sequenced and orchestrated together to get a valuable output uh, for our customers. So in our system, is really a whole set of AI models that work together, they collaborate, they continuously learn, and they continuously improve themselves. Wow. So th thank you for that, because uh, <laughs> that helps a little bit with my uh, had trouble with grade 10 physics mind uh, in terms of understanding this stuff. Um, in building your technology, can you share a little bit about how you did that? Did you need to uh, acquire a lot of capital as a startup in order to develop that? Or are there shortcuts? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's shortcuts. <laughs> Everybody's, <laughs> I think, looking for the shortcut. And I think one of the shortcuts some entrepreneurs can do right now is that they can go and get a lot of these pre-trained AI models off the shelf. Uh, and I would actually encourage them to be doing that. Uh, so there are ways to quickly get up to speed. But in the world of AI, it is difficult. Uh, like any business, you have to, the devil's in the detail. And there's a lot of detail that has to be figured out. So there is capital involved. And for us, because we're heavily invested into success for financial services, with the compliance and the risk requirements, there's still a heavyweight capital investment. Uh, we have gone to investors, we've pulled in investors, uh, investment money to develop the technology. We've actually spent the last three and a half, four years really building out a solid technology solution with a team. So you can work backwards on the amount of capital that we would need to do it. Uh, we also need to invest heavily in skill sets and that makes sure that we have top 
scientists and engineers that are working to build this out as well. Can you tell us anything about the amount you raised or maybe who some of your partners are? Or did any of the financial institutions come in and help you get started? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so we've raised to date a little over uh, 10 million U.S. Uh, in capital. Uh, that's helped us build out the tech that you, we have today. It has come from uh, key folks such as Yaletown Partners, BDC Capital is another major investor. My wife and I have a family fund uh, that we invest out of, and we're also major investors into the company ourselves. And we have a number of angels that we've loved working with over the past that have also invested into the, the company. Fabulous. Sounds like you did it right. Is, the, is, it, is it any easier the second time around? <laughs> it's, uh, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, no, the answer is no to that. <laughs> uh, I, I keep getting more and more gray hair. I thought I would be a little savvier coming in. It's, it'll be a little easier, but no. Uh, the, the hard part about uh, even being an entrepreneur is the passion takes over. And I'm a workaholic. And that passion and that workaholic nature has not abated at all. Uh, it seems to have ramped up. So that gives me a, a little bit more stress in my life. I always said that entrepreneurs have a big uh, advantage over larger competitors, big business, whatever. And they're called Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So there is there is a story. I mean, Charlie's not a person, but there's a story behind the name and what that name represents. Can you tell us a little bit more about Charlie? And it's C-H-A-R-L-I, which is also an interesting choice. Yes, uh, there is no E at the end, and that, that's on purpose. So Charlie is a play on chief of staff. We all need that chief of staff. We're all time poor. And that's where the original concept came from, is we all hate doing the drudgery, the day-to-day, -day, the admin, the repeat over and over again. So we need that chief of staff that can do it. Charlie is a play on that. We purposely dropped the E because we wanted to be gender neutral. Uh, and that came up in the discussions because I would view Charlie as a she. My wife would uh, lovingly give me a little nudge and say, no, Charlie is a hot Australian guy. <laughs> So it, that's where the gender neutral elements uh, came from. <laughs> is it, does does sort of having that personification of your business model as well as the business name, does that help in sort of uh, defining your brand or explaining it to people? It does. I think a lot of people like where the, the name came from and it's helped define the brand to where it is today. Uh, there is a, a bit of a danger is you, we can't get too attached to it uh, because it could force you down a certain go-to-market strategy just through the cuteness of it. And we have to be careful that that's, it can only go so far. Uh, and we did find ourselves being a little too attached to this cute element of chief of staff. And as part of the pivot, it needed to be a little bit more of an enterprise play. That's uh, that's really interesting. So you probably remember the t movie 2001, Stanley Kubrick. Yes. And it's cleverly named uh, Artificial Intelligence was Hal. 
<laughs> and he got out of hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's interesting you bring Hal up because one of our demo accounts that I use on a regular basis is Hal at charlie.ai. Uh, another one is Ava at charlie.ai. And right now I'm doing this podcast from a conference room that's called Wally. So we do have an AI team. <laughs> okay, that's that's cool. You again, company culture. Yes, <laughs> steps in the history of AI. Uh, very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, let's just talk about AI as a platform for entrepreneurs. I mean, obviously, right now AI is having this huge moment. Um, for better or worse, it is suddenly on the tip of everyone's tongue. Uh, you've been doing this for three or four years but um, at, at Charlie, but it's like suddenly the sky is raining um, AI platforms and AI platforms that are meant for consumers to play with, which is, you know, a, a, a to me, it's, it's, it's like a paradigm shift for consumers. We've heard of AI coming. It, it isn't new. But the fact that we can play with it and create uh, and get it to create so many different things in so many different ways, it's now like having a piano in your house. And some of us will play concertos and some of us will work on, on chopsticks. <laughs> but, it, but it's become a tool for everybody. Is it still a platform for launching new businesses? Or do you think there's still a lot of uh, opportunity here for entrepreneurs? There is a lot of opportunity. And the, the opportunities don't necessarily have to be requiring these entrepreneurs to be experts in AI. They have to be experts in the business solution that they're offering, the problem they're solving. But they don't necessarily have to be experts in the world of AI. And the reason for that is that there's a lot of companies out there that offer platforms that allow these entrepreneurs to build on top of and to deliver solutions to customers. You can go and get these pre-trained models. You can sign up for services through Google, OpenAI, Microsoft, and use their AI capabilities for starting to deliver value add for your customers. And that could be on the consumer side. It could even be on the business side. There's a massive amount of opportunity ahead. And right now, the AI that everyone's enamored about, there's a lot of that. What I heard last week was the romanticism around it is there. But then there's going to be a reality check on where it's at today, where it needs to go tomorrow. In my mind, that's just speaking to the vast opportunity that's ahead of us. We're just scratching the surface right now. Right. If you were a 21-year-old starting out today, what do you think you might look to AI to accomplish as an entrepreneur? Well, that's a, a really good question. That's, uh, for me, putting my entrepreneurial hat on. Uh, there's, depending on it, whether you're looking at it from a, a B2B perspective or a consumer perspective, on the... B2B side of it, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for automation throughout the uh, either the industrial world still requires a lot of automation through there. And this is where AI can be applied. There's a lot of intelligence that can be applied into break fix. So a lot of technologies that we're using um, 
has the ability you can do detection and break fix on this. There is a massive amount of opportunity even on the consumer side to offer up net new experiences. You should say there's a lot of new technology out there that can do net new images or sounds or combinations of. So there, I see a lot of entrepreneurs that are picking up and creating new tools that allow consumers to generate new content. Uh, and in the content space, there's a lot that could be done there as well. So many opportunities. Now, did you did you see this coming? I mean, it's just in the past six months or so that suddenly we've had these platforms available to us. We've been encouraged as consumers to play with it for free. Uh, you know, no <laughs> no barriers. Um, and and of course, it's caused all kinds of anxiety for school systems in particular and universities. Um, a lot of people wondering where this is going to take us how we can deal with deep fakes, et cetera. Did you see this coming? Did you see that all of a sudden we would have these warring platforms opening up to the public to uh, really let them get into the mud puddle and play? I would say short answer to that would be no to this level or extent. The hype is surprised a lot of people. Uh, I think it would even surprise OpenAI as just to how quick it took off. From a technology perspective, I'd say, yes, we saw the advantages of this many years ago, and this is why we're sticking with our guns on applying this tech. Uh, I think the dangers that are coming up are very real. It goes to a lot of our design principles ourselves. Part of the reason we like the B2B side, the enterprise side, is that we have to be far more rigid and strict around what our AI is doing. There's a number of talking points around responsible AI now, observable AI, ethical AI. Those are the talking points. And I think we have to have those discussions because if you look at some of the consumer side AI, it's producing a lot of well-written, produced content but isn't very grounded in facts. It's also produced in a black box fashion. So you have no idea on where it's coming from. That is posing a lot of risks. We knew that early on. Uh, part of the reason we like the, the business side is that we know that we have to be producing fact-based content and we have to have traceability all the way from beginning to end. If our customers are gonna be relying on those decisions, so when the AI popped up and all of a sudden consumers are doing it and there's not the same rigor around the production of the output, uh, it's a bit scary. It's surprising how quickly it took off, but the value, I think everybody, and the excitement and the romance around it is warranted. There's a lot of tremendous value that people can foresee as long as you have some discipline on how it's applied. Right. And, and what, you, what you say makes all kinds of sense, but how do we build that discipline? There was a movement that started up a while back that said, hey, let's put a halt on new developments in AI for six months, signed by some credible people. But to my mind, you know, wholly implausible idea that we could just pause all research on this and what happens to the people who, <laughs> who don't pause. Uh, so... Again, a, a crazy idea, but 
how do we marshal the resources? Who is it that's going to develop these rules, these ethics? Uh, are they are these groups that already exist? Um, do we just look to Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics? <laughs> Where does the, the governance come from? The governance methods, I think, are already there in place and just have to accommodate this net new technology and understand it better and update their governance approach to accommodate it. Uh, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle with this. And again, that's another term that I've heard. It's You can't unwind what is already there. People already see the benefits of this and want to apply it. Uh, but I think what that pause and that open letter that went out from those folks is drawing attention to the fact that there's very real risks, and they are real. Uh, we see it in the world of large corporates that are already applying this technology and keeping their buyers glued or clickbait. It all it happens all the time on the, the social media. So the risks are very real. And I think what is going to take a bit of time, but it has to happen, is governments have to step in and look at regulatory elements. We already see it in the world of financial services where there's a lot of heavy weight uh, focus on compliance risks and regulation around how AI is used and applied. In the schooling system, you have to be very careful there. So schools already have their ability to do some governance around it. They're now going to have to figure out how to accommodate the AI in any content that is generated or any use of the AI that's, you know, for me, I would want, we never want to negatively affect human decision-making or cognitive abilities. It's all about augmenting and supercharging that. So the schools are going to have to learn how to expose people to the AI, how it can be used responsibly. And that is going to take time. Uh, I love the fact that that's going to take time. I love the fact that we're going to have to go through this discipline and move from the Wild West into a little bit more of a reasonable use of the technology that is transparent. So a lot of work to be done, but in the meantime, lots of room for opportunity and to do uh, really positive things with it. Definitely. Yeah, I, I see the benefit. Uh, we, I personally love the space that we're in and the AI. I absolutely love it. I love the fact that it's regulated as well. That's odd because like everyone else, I hate red tape. I don't like the bureaucracy <laughs> of it. But I can understand the benefits of where regulations have their original intent. And I want to make sure that the AI is responsible and transparent. So it is forcing a lot of innovation in our tech. And part of the reason I love it is because of that innovation that we can apply. So you've just suggested a really interesting space, which is that uh, we need more regulation. Regulation is basically a good thing, but regulation can also be a bad thing when it becomes too great, too hard to understand, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, AI has the, <laughs> has the power to uh, help us master regulatory issues faster and probably more successfully. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think a lot of 
regulations are born out of great intent um, and they just become overly bureaucratic with a lot of the the paper pushing that happens and this is where ai can definitely help and just one sort of final question about the future of ai um the world of science the things we have to know the things that we're learning i can't remember what the statistics are but you know we're the the the, the sum total of human knowledge is what doubling every three years or whatever it is they say um and there's a problem in science in that a lot of, of specialists can't even communicate with each other anymore because their areas of study have become so specialized and, and the knowledge, it, 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 this, this burgeoning knowledge forces us into narrower and narrower fields. Is it, and, that's, and, and that can be a problem. So I'm just wondering if you see AI as, as an opportunity to help, uh, help us master this to help us get uh communicate better uh we, from all the specialties whether it's science or physics or chemistry or whatever and be able to maintain a common language or ability to at least try and understand each other i believe in that to my core that yes and it is a design principle for us to augment human decision-making, to supercharge human decision-making is really our mandate behind everything that we're doing. I use Charlie every single day, and I do it for research because I'm trying to learn the markets of our customers, what they're looking at, and it's helping me understand their language, their acronyms, their design, and their decision points. I just produced a whole research effort through our AI. This is where the AI research comes in, and it's all on renewable natural gas. And I was fascinated by learning about the the climate change, the elements, the driving factors, even learning key terms around anaerobic digesters and how that applies in the world of agriculture, which I would have never really gotten into in any depth, in any way, without AI helping me do that and do the research. Uh, yeah, and, it, and it's interesting. And, and actually, there's, there's no, I guess there's no industry that's facing more, uh, a greater learning curve now than financial services, which I know through some of the work I've been doing that financial services companies are being expected to really lead the way in investing in you know clean tech and the in the, the 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 renewable energy economy and to also um better disclose and slowly move away from their investments in conventional carbon-based fuels so an incredible intellectual journey yes. <laughs> in store for them and they're bankers for Pete's sake <laughs> So uh, AI could really help with that as well. It, it is, because even as bankers, and you pointed out earlier on the podcast, uh, even as a startup, we need a capital to make it happen. And that capital comes from investors and bankers. They have to know the markets that really are going to be uh, top of mind for people. Yeah. So a lot of things have to shift over the next few years. And I guess it's good that we'll have AI to help us do that but we'll keep a close eye on it uh, as well. What highlights do you see for the rest of the year 
for Charlie, just getting back to your work and, and, and your business, what are you looking forward to? For us, it really is about that commercial uh, market gain. Uh, we're excited on every single customer case that we get into. As you pointed out also earlier on, it's we do listen to our customers. We pay attention to what they're, they're looking at. And that is a learning curve for us that we thoroughly enjoy. So our goals for this year are to really accelerate our customer adoption, uh, both for new customers coming in in the world of financial services, as well as expansion uh, into new market opportunities in Europe. That's our focus for 2023 is really all on the customers. Fantastic. Well, I wish you uh, the best of luck with that. I'm sure you don't need it, but just in case it helps in the world of AI, just in case luck actually exists. No, thank you. I wish it for you. Kevin, do you have any final words of wisdom or advice you'd like to share with aspiring entrepreneurs? Definitely. I think the, it's, the biggest thing that I would say for them, given two things, one, the whole interest in market in AI, but also there's a lot of economic uncertainty with everything that's happening right now in the tech sector. I wouldn't be getting disheartened by that. I think there's a massive amount of opportunity out there, and it really is how to apply the AI, not necessarily going out and becoming an expert in the AI models. It really is how can you use it? How can you apply it? because there's a lot of companies out there that can support you and give you platforms for it. It's really just go into that B2B space, the B2C space, find the applications that make sense. And it is still a very fascinating world with a tremendous long-term opportunity. A fascinating world with tremendous long-term opportunity. I totally agree with you, only <laughs> you, you have the confidence that comes from experience to know that. Uh, it's been great. Talking with you, Kevin, thank you so much. Best of luck, as, as I mentioned before, with Charlie AI. And let's encourage all of our listeners to, you know, take a, take a second look at AI and think about how it can affect their business, how it can help their customers, and to, to really keep that in mind as they're growing and pivoting. No, thanks, Rick. I appreciate you getting me on the show, and uh, it was nice meeting you. Great to meet you. We'll be in touch. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.